This is the Inner Voice Audio Experience, and I'm your host, Travis McKenzie. Endurance athletes spend a lot of time in their own heads, and their own self-talk can either drive them towards their goals or crush them in an instant. We often focus on mastering the body, but these battles play out in the mind. I host inspiring athletes and innovators from across the endurance sports industry and explore the trials and tribulations that often play out well before race day and in their personal lives. You will recognize the names, but you won't have heard their stories told like this before. Today's episode is a great conversation I had recently with Daniel Cassidy, the CEO of Major League Triathlon, the first and only professional triathlon league in North America. Dan and I have become close friends over the last few years as I've followed the league from its inception in 2016. Today we cover a wide range of topics, including how Dan's wife Sarah played an integral role in the creation of MLT through her experience as a triathlon spectator. We share the origin story of Major League Triathlon, which started as a way to engage spectators and the general public. We also talk about the courage it takes to go all in and try something new. We also cover having heroes in professional sports as a young athlete and providing a clear pathway for youth, junior and collegiate athletes aspiring to race at the top of the sport. I let in a little secret about my obscure triathlon hero as a kid. We also share the skills and lessons that Dan has taken from sport into business, and he talks about controlling the things you can control. We share ideas on how to grow engagement and participation in triathlon, and we talk about the importance of gender parity and the equality that comes with mixed team relay format. We also cover the inauspicious beginnings of the series in Temple, Texas, and share some of the most memorable moments from the first three seasons of Major League Triathlon. Finally, it saddens me to share the news of the passing of Mike Plant. Mike was a legend in the sport of triathlon. Many consider him the first person to start covering the beginnings of the sport in San Diego, California some 40 years ago. He was a lifelong contributor to the industry, a friend and supporter of Major League Triathlon, and a beacon for positivity. Mike, you will be missed. I'm very grateful to be able to bring these conversations to you, and it wouldn't be possible without the support from iCore Labs, who are the sponsor of today's Inner Voice audio experience. iCore is a clean, natural source of recovery-enhancing full-spectrum hemp extract. They design their products with athletes in mind, and their goal is to protect your body from the stresses of training, improve recovery from intense efforts, and maintain a positive mental state. They believe that you can experience meaningful improvements in your well-being through small lifestyle changes, which is why they focus on the benefits of sleep, decreasing inflammation, and increasing mindfulness. They have just released their topical treatment, which I've been trying over the last couple of weeks. iCore also has a special offer for you today, which I'll share with you at the end of the show. For now, here's Dan Cassidy, CEO of Major League Triathlon. Daniel Cassidy, CEO of Major League Triathlon. It's a pleasure to be sitting down with you, sir. How are you? I'm doing really well, Travis. Thanks for having me. Of course, mate. Um, I'm, I'm excited about this conversation. Uh, obviously, we've spent quite a bit of time together, but I think this is a great opportunity to 
allow our listeners to uh, hear a bit more of your story and hear a bit more of the story behind Major League Triathlon. Um, so why don't we go right into it? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, so I grew up playing sports my entire life. Uh, got in triathlon when I was um, freshman year of college after an injury. Kind of used swimming and cycling as a way for me to get back into you know training and try to get a little bit back into shape after I was out of commission for a while with a knee injury and um, swam a lot, cycled a lot because, you know, um, non-impact exercises and whatnot. And then um, my cousin, who was really into triathlon at the time, recommended I do my first race and kind of been hooked ever since then. So, um, yeah, did triathlon after that for maybe six years or so. Um, my wife, Sarah, who's also involved with MLT, um, had been to pretty much every race that I've ever done. One day just kind of sat me down and said, I love that you love this and I love being out here to support you, but this is really brutal for a spectator. And, uh, you know, um, I'm not sure that I want to keep coming to these races if I have to wake up at four o'clock in the morning every day and waste my entire Saturday. So didn't understand what she was talking about, obviously, because, you know, I, uh, love the sport and thought I'm the one that's out there doing the race and you're just sitting here watching it. But, um, long story short, she said, you know what, I'm going to do a race. You can sit through it as a spectator and you can't race it, even though I tried as hard as I could to do it and, um, sat there through a sprint triathlon in Massachusetts and hour and 15 minutes later, she finished. First thing I said to her was like, that was brutal, but very proud of you. That's the second thing I said to her that she finished her race. But, um, yeah. And then like that idea of, what can we do to make this more exciting and spectator friendly? And for people that are coming out to watch the race, like what can we do to make that better for them? And that was sort of like the seed that was planted. Um, and then it just grew into what it is now. So. Yeah, it's cool. I love that story. And I think, um, you know, necessity of born out of a problem um, and you experienced it. And I think a lot of triathlon fans know the feeling of, you know, you see your friends or your family come out of the swim and, they go off on the bike ride and you might see them, you know, an hour or more later and then all of a sudden they're off again riding their bike, um, running and then they come through the finish and, you, you know, you're like, okay, that was cool but I've spent <laughs> all day here waiting for you. So, yeah, it's cool. And, that, like, tell me about what that thought process was. You know, you experienced it as a spectator and then, um, you know, Major League Triathlon for people listening who don't know is uh, built around the mixed team relay format. Um, how quickly did you find mixed team relay um through your resource uh research and um how quickly did you decide that that was the format that you were going to use for major league triathlon well i mean honestly like i said the first thing that was planted in my head was just like we need to make this more exciting for spectators and uh the last thing i thought at that moment was we need to build a professional race series and focus on mixed team relay i didn't know very much about it at the time i was like getting more into it like a lot of age groupers do is getting more into longer distance racing and still racing a lot of sprint and Olympic distances as well. But, um, the more I looked at it and the more I was like, okay, well these 70.3 races are Ironman or even sprint and Olympic distance. It's like, these aren't going to work for spectator friendliness. Like maybe sprint, like maybe, um, but it's still boring. And, you know, I mean, I love the sport, so I don't mean that in like a bad way, a negative way against the sport. It's just, it's, it's hard for a spectator to, to watch it and enjoy it. So we did a little bit more research, uh, found mixed team relay 
um, watched some highlights and stuff like that because it had been around for a little bit um, when we discovered it. I was like, this is awesome. You know, like I said, I grew up playing hockey and baseball and sports like my whole life. Team sports, it's like this is a team-based thing. This is fantastic. This is what America, American sports are about. And uh, yeah, like I, like, like I said, it was really just that first seed planted there and that turned into what it is now. And to be honest with you, it's kind of a whirlwind. You know, it's been four years now or five years now since we first you know, discussed the possibility of doing this. And it really started out from the spectator friendly component. And then it moved more into, uh, also, you know, I want to see triathlon succeed and our sport is like the foundation of it is amateur athletes, which is amazing. Like, you know, there's not another sport that's really like that. Like, um, but at the same time, it's when you look at it from a perspective of mainstream sports and in America, you know, television isn't following, you know, the, amateur and or uh, amateur football team or you know amateur baseball team or whatever it's it's MLB that's on TV and NHL and NFL and they said like if we really want this to be mainstream and be on television um, or live stream and, and to have a following there has to be you know the best people in the world racing and and um, yeah so I, we, we looked at that and uh, said this is a fantastic mixed team relay is an awesome format of racing. We had a very good feeling that it was going to be the Olympics, and I don't know why we thought it was going to be, but I mean, like naively, I was like, oh, like this is a fantastic event. They're trying to shorten stuff. It's going to be the Olympics, but I reality, I had no idea that that was going to happen, and I'd never hosted a race before. I've never been a race director. I didn't know really what I was doing, and uh, that like naivety is like kind of what allowed us to start this. I think. A story that you tell that I really love as well is around having heroes and having heroes growing up watching, you know, baseball and hockey and things that you enjoyed and wanting to create an environment for the next generation and two generations time where they had triathletes that they could look up to and making heroes out of that athlete, uh, out of those athletes. Why don't you share a little bit more about kind of the idea of having the professional race uh, to provide that next generation someone to look up to yeah no definitely like as you mentioned before like i i had heroes growing up like most people do in professional sports and um for me hockey it was i was a huge new jersey devils fan and loved marty brodeur for what he did on the ice and uh you know chipper jones for baseball was my hero and while that wasn't necessarily i think like necessarily the thing that got me into the sport i think it was what drove my passion for those two sports um, and I looked at triathlon the same way as like, you know, these are the people that are at the pinnacle of the sport. They're in unbelievable shape. And like, when you see them compete in person to you, like you see a whole other side of it than maybe on t- television or live stream or something like that. But, um, yeah, like, you know, right now our, our core competency of, of triathletes is, is age groupers that are in their forties or thirties or whatever. And we want to try to build the next generation of sport. And I think the best way to do that is to give them heroes to look up to and people that they can say like, wow, like I want to be like, you know, Ben Canute or Vincent Louie or, you know, Taylor Spivey or, you know, Kirsten Casper, people like that. And, um, I want to go to the Olympics one day. And our hope is that not only are we doing this professionally league right now, but we're going to open this up to amateurs in 2019, but also youth and junior athletes in 2019 or 2020, 
um, and kind of try to create that pipeline and that dream of, you know, going to the Olympics. But then also just for the person that's like, this is really cool. I love watching this. And maybe they have no interest in that, but they just want to get involved, you know, and now that USAT has put a lot of money and, and effort into, you know, NCAA and what they're doing there, I think there's like kind of a clear pathway, like there are in other sports to, you know, starting out when you're really young, maybe in, um, you know, youth racing or whatever. And if you want to be competitive, you can do youth elite junior elite and NCAA and race professionally as well. So, yeah, I think it's really cool to now see, uh, athletes who grew up being triathletes. So, you know, I'm in my mid thirties, you're not quite there yet. Um, but when we grew up, you weren't a triathlete. You probably were a runner or a swimmer or a cyclist, and then you become a triathlete over time. But now what we're seeing is a generation of athletes who grow up as triathletes. That's their sport that they do from you know middle school. And now there is that pipeline you talk about to go to college on the women's side and to be able to you know get an education, uh, pursue an Olympic dream, those type of things. One thing that I really love about endurance sports and, and triathlon being, you know, my, my passion as well and, and the sport that I've spent most of my time in is the ability to ra- race on the same course with the world's best. Now, at this point, mixed team relay hasn't been able to give that opportunity to the amateur athletes. Talk to us a little bit more about how you see not only mixed team relay, but super sprint triathlon as that way of introducing people to the sport and giving them uh, an opportunity to, to grow through the ranks and not necessarily feel like they have to go straight to Ironman distance um, just to fulfill that need to do a triathlon. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, mixed team relay is obviously is something that I think, especially when the masses really see this for the first time in 2020, um, you know, when it makes its Olympic debut is going to be something that sparks a lot of interest in the sport. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the distances involved in it, it's like the number one thing I hear from pretty much anyone I talk to, whether they're triathlete or they've, you know, only ever heard of Ironman or don't even know what triathlon is. They ask me what the, the distances are. And I tell them like what she, what each athlete does uh, in the mixed team relay. And the number one response I get is like, wow, like, I think I could probably do that. Those are short distances. So yeah, there's obviously the elite component to it and the draft legal component to it uh, for professionals, youth, junior and collegiate and everything like that too. But I mean, this is a fantastic way to get people into the sport with a low barrier of entry. Um, and we're going to focus on that too. Like we want to grow the sport as a whole, not just the professional side of things. And a lot of people actually like that I talked to um, are confused why we didn't do age group stuff in the past. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying before. It's like, I think that in order to raise the profile of the sport, there has to be a really strong professional contingency and, and it exists in a lot of places like, you know, Europe and, and, uh, and Australia and things like that doesn't exist quite as much over here. But I really, like I said before, I'm a huge believer in professional athletes and that level of entertainment for people like really drives participation as a whole and super sprints, just a fantastic way to get people involved in it. And then if you do a super sprint, you love it and you get hooked like most people do, then you can go on and do the the longer distance races, I think. Growing up in Australia, we had this type of racing on TV every single weekend. It was short, fast, entertaining racing. There were household names, the athletes who were competing and you know, we would have Simon Whitfield and we would have these people come from overseas. But really there was this group of Aussie heroes that grew up on our TV screens every single weekend. Now I have an understanding and a belief that that will come 
um, and it always does around Olympic time. What do you think is really important to um, capitalize on around this type of racing so that people can understand that these athletes are, you know, and they, and they have an opportunity to become household names themselves? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a lot of, like, not to stroke your ego too much, but it's a lot of what you guys are doing. You know, like, I think building the content around the athletes and telling their stories too. And it's something that we are going to be doing a lot more of kind of moving forward. But, um, yeah, I mean, again, like, I, I hate to keep comparing it to other sports out there, but people, they have a favorite golfer they have a favorite nascar driver or a favorite you know nfl player or whatever and a lot of times like yes it's it's based on how good they are as an athlete but it's also based on like you know who they are as a person and and you know what's been available content wise like if we have the best athlete in the world racing but you know he or she does not have any personality whatsoever or doesn't do anything outside of it or, or doesn't have an interesting story i guess behind what they do um it's hard to really relate to that person i think so i think a lot of it is yeah obviously you can be very famous for you know winning a gold medal and whatnot but a lot of it's also like like you know what are they doing outside of the sport you know like the fact that certain people um you know in our league for example like you know have you know, they volunteer and they help give back and they try to get kids into the sport as well. And like, there's a lot of the, those stories that aren't told right now. And I think, like I said, like you guys are doing a really good job at inner voice, like, um, telling those stories that people haven't done. And, um, it's a long way of saying that, uh, content creation and, and, and building brands is, is really just around, you know, telling those individual athletes stories. And we're going to be doing a lot more of that. And I think that is going to drive more interest in the sport. And that's going to drive, um, these athletes to become household names, as you said. Yeah, and I, th- I appreciate you saying that. I think one thing that I'm really cognizant of is telling the human side of the story. I think uh, the triathlon industry and the cycling industry and endurance sports have a tendency to talk to the same people and talk to ourselves a lot. So we're sharing these stories about athletes that we already know and the general public doesn't know. So, you know, the bridge for me is how do we share that human side? With that in mind, maybe you can share with us some of the um, you know, some of the athletes who have been in the league traditionally over the last three years, um, some of the athletes that, you know, are, are coming back and why um, they keep coming back and, and what kind of what, what you've been able to do to help raise the profile of some of those athletes over the last few years. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've had, um, we've had three seasons now and we haven't announced the, the athletes that are going to be joining us for, for 2019 yet, but um, you know, there's, there's a handful of athletes that have been around since our very first year. And the reason that they've been around for so long, guys like Ben Canute, people like Aaron, girls like Aaron Story, um, you know, Michael Arishida is because, you know, they, they're entertaining to watch, obviously on the course, they lay it all out every single time they're out there racing, but it's the other things that they do outside of it as well. It's that they're opening themselves up to, you know, these kind of opportunities to tell their story. I know you've covered, you know, Ben and, um, and Aaron in the past. It's that, you know, like the volunteering to come out and, and, um, uh, volunteer at some things we do. Megan Foley is another athlete that was with us for the past three seasons. And, you know, we had our Charlotte event here and she came out and, um, participated in a swim class for, uh, you know, for a local school here, um, and the athletes love it. I mean, and that's, that's a, that, that goes a long way with us because for us, it's like, we're not gonna, you know, we don't have a billion dollars here to 
compete with these major sports. So a lot of it is local community building and trying to get people that are here watching the races to like really start following these athletes. And we started to see that a lot. Um, you know, people that are following the series and our athletes are coming to town and they're like, you'd think that they're seeing their favorite NFL star, you know, it's like, we have a long way to go to get to where we want to be, but, um, it's not just the athlete's ability level on the course is what I'm trying to say. It's, it's what they're willing to do off of it as well. Um, and their overall personality behind it and everything like that. And like I said, like, if you look at traditional sports, like a guy like Phil Mickelson or whatever, like people love him. He's a great golfer, but like, you know, he's opened up his life a lot to, you know, the media and people have got to see his, you know, his side of like his family and, you know, who he is as a person. And that's why a lot of people love him, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. I was thinking back to me growing up and I never, uh, I never was a, a fan of the best player on the team or the best team or, you know, the person who always won. There was always something that I was kind of looking for that was a little bit different and a little bit gritty. Um, and you talk about your, you know, your hockey and your, your baseball, um, uh, heroes. Who was your triathlon hero when you first got into the sport was, or was that not even really a thing? Yeah. Well, before, before I, and I promise I'll get over to that, but just, just kind of funny that you mentioned, like there wasn't always the person that, um, was the best. And, uh, like I said before, Chipper Jones, my favorite baseball player. I didn't like him because he was one of the best baseball players to ever play the game. I liked him because I went the first baseball game I ever went to in my life. Um, I was at the Camden yards, the Orioles stadium. They were playing the Braves. I'm from Connecticut. So I have no logical reason to like the Braves other than something happened. That was really cool. Uh, we were on the third base side. Chipper Jones was a third baseman and he tossed me a ball and I've liked him ever since. And that's literally the reason why he's my favorite player and why I'm currently a fan of the Atlanta Braves and living in Charlotte and from Connecticut. So that's cool. Um, yeah. So in terms of triathlon heroes, um, not really. And I think that's honestly kind of why, like I've made it like a personal challenge and a business challenge of ours to try to give athletes a platform to increase their, um, popularity or, or give them a platform to at least, you know, tell their story. Um, but I mean, there's, that does, that's not to say that there aren't athletes that I like really respected and looked up to. Um, you know, somebody that comes to mind kind of right off the bat is like Andy Potts. Um, never met him, um, or anything like that, but, uh, I just always really enjoyed the fact that he always just seemed like he was like a guy that would, you know, tell it straight and, you know, be open and honest about everything he did. Like I hear a lot of athletes and, not saying it in a bad way, but they'll get second place or whatever. And they'll be like, you know, I was having a bad day or whatever. And like, you know, I, I grew up listening to him being like, yeah, just, he was better than me today. You know, when he won or, you know, like one of my favorite things he said always was like, uh, you know, like in Ironman racing, um, which I was one of the weirdos that watched eight hours of live stream coverage and whatnot. But, um, he'd be like, you don't, they'd be like, Oh, you looked like you were suffering out there. And, but you broke this record or course record or you won the race or whatever. And he was like, you don't have to feel good to, to go fast. And like, you know, like he just, he was just a guy that I always thought was like very like a straight shooter. And like, I respected him a lot, but I guess he was probably the closest thing I had to like a, a hero in the sport, I guess when I was starting out. But again, I, I started doing triathlon when I was you know, 18 years old or so or 19. So didn't grow up in the same way you did and have the luxury of watching, triathlon on television which would have been really freaking cool to see if i do say so myself yeah well i, I have a similar story to you uh with your chipper jones story my favorite triathlete when i was a kid was andrew noble and for people 
uh, listening who know Andrew Noble's name, um, you'll know how obscure that is because, uh, you know, he definitely wasn't the best athlete, but, he, you know, he tried hard every week and um, he, he was exceptional, but he wasn't, you know, in the echelon of Greg Welsh and Brad Bevan and Chris McCormack and those guys that were racing that series. But same thing, he, um, after the final race, gave me his St. George race singlet. That's awesome. And, man. like, I used to wear it everywhere. We would do, like, brick sessions as we, as kids and I was, like – rolling around in Andrew Noble's singlet that didn't quite fit me properly. But that was like, that was exactly the same as like, yeah. he took the time, um, you know, to, to engage. And, and that was, uh, you know, a lifelong fan from there. And I remember in actually I'm dating myself and I'm going down to a, a bit too much nostalgia, but uh, 1992, my dad raced in Ironman Kona nice. and my brother and I stood uh, at Digby Beach and waited for all the pros to get out of the water on their training swims with, oh, our, awesome. with our hats and we would get them to sign it, you know, and we got everyone, Mark Allen, Greg Welsh, Ken Glar, like everyone you could think of. Um, and that was just like the coolest experience. Like, you, you, it, yeah, I, it, was, uh, it was a really special moment for, for me and my brother and our family uh, to be a part of that. So, yeah, I can – relate to your story around like getting the baseball from Chipper Jones and becoming a lifelong fan. And I think that's really important for kids to have those positive role models um, to grow up and look up to. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you know, if I asked you, well, you may know because you remember the year well, but like when you were in 1992 and you were in Kona, like, do you remember who won that year? Like off the top of your head right away? Uh, I don't actually. Okay. So, but do you remember the people that gave you autographs? I do. And I remember, uh, I actually remember really cheering for Greg Welsh and, yeah. um, you know, standing there and, and, and hoping that he was going to win. And that was the year that I think he had, uh, he had some issues. I think he had kidney stones or he had something go wrong. And I think he finished sixth and, um, you know, as Aussies, it was, he, he was the great white hope. I think he finished second the year before, um, I think Mark Allen won that year, but you know it was all about it was all about Greg Welsh, and it was all about watching him um, trying to win the race and and kind of waving the, the Aussie flag uh, throughout the race. Yeah, I know, but I mean the the bigger point I'm, I'm I was trying to make there is just that like you know there's so many races you know whether it's Ironman or you know ITU MLT whatever it is that um, at the end of the day. The thing that's going to make the most positive impact, we think anyway, is, is not necessarily who wins the race, but like I said, the, you know, the personal touches they have, like, you know, you may may have no idea who one of our athletes are, but you know, if, um, you're watching the race, it's like, oh, that's really awesome that they won. But if that person, you know, he or she teaches your son or daughter how to swim, you're never going to forget that person. You know, like they're, if they take the time out of their day to give a singlet to a young kid who's aspiring to be a you know, better triathlete as he grows older, like you're, you didn't never forgot that. Um, yeah. And I think that's, it's the power of sport in general, not just triathlon. And we have this like unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable platform in which an amateur athlete can watch the best person in the world race and then go off like an hour later and be on the same course as you said. And you don't get that in football. You can't go out and play a NFL football game on a Sunday after the the game's over. So, yeah. um, let's change gears a little bit. I know that you know you're still a passionate endurance athlete. Um, let's talk about the characteristics that you've taken from your life as an athlete. So that you know the discipline and the resilience and those type of things that you learn as an athlete. 
Let's talk about that because running and growing a business and in particular, you know, an events-based business isn't easy. Talk to me about um, the skills and the lessons you learned as an athlete that you're able to transfer into growing a business. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing, uh, so I grew up playing hockey. I was a goalie. So it was always, um, I mean, it doesn't matter how good you were, you were always going to get scored on at some point. And some games you'd get a shutout. Some games you'd let up like, you know, five, six goals or whatever it was. And the more that you thought about the negatives, the more that you blamed yourself for letting a goal in or losing that game, the worse you tend to get. And sometimes you have to just realize that like bad things are going to happen, whether it's in your control or out of your control. And in the event business, usually a lot of things are out of your control, like weather and stuff like that. Um, letting that go and focusing on moving forward and, and creating a better product moving forward is something that I think I take a lot from sports, especially being a goalie, like I said, where you have to have like really short memory and forget about all those bad things that happen. Think about how you're going to fix it in the future. I mean, it's, it's obviously really important to, uh, to learn from things. So I'm not saying like, Oh, just forget if you do something wrong, but like, um, it's, you know, something happens, learn from it very, very quickly and then let it go and don't ever let it happen again or do your best to never let it happen again. So I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've kind of learned from sports growing up. Um, and then also, obviously, like I said, I grew up playing team sports. So, um, trying to, and it's something I still struggle with every day is like trying to delegate and let people, um, help me like a team help me, you know, do everything. Cause I don't, I know I don't have all the answers, but, um, and just like you can't, I can't win a game as a, as a goalie in hockey. Like someone has to score a goal. I have to stop goals from coming in, but you have to rely on your teammates and whatnot. And I think business is a lot like that as well. It's like surround yourself with the best possible team you can. And then once you're there, like trust that they can, they can get the job done because if I, as a goalie, and I'm sorry to keep using the hockey references, but if I, as a goalie tried to go down and score a goal, I'm probably not going to do it one. And then the, the net's empty and it's, you know, you're usually going to fail more often than not when you try to do everything yourself. So, um, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've taken from, um, my competition as athlete when I was younger. Yeah. That's a cool analogy. I think, um, you know, you're not going to win the game by yourself. Talk to me about what's next for you. So the series is, you know, is, is continuing 2019. Um, you know, don't, you don't have to necessarily get into specifics, but what does like MLT 10 years from now look like to you? Yeah. So, uh, well, 2019, first and foremost, uh, it's the most important year so far that we've probably had. It's, uh, the last year remaining before the makes its debut in the Olympics mixed team relay. Um, it's also a very important year for all of our athletes to be gaining as many Olympic points as possible with ITU or ITU points, I should say towards the Olympics. So for us, our focus this year is going to be on, you know, quality of events rather than quantity. The plan is to host, uh, maybe one or two less events this year. Uh, but like I said, really make sure we have the best possible athletes there so they can really showcase what they can do, but then also allow our athletes to focus on what's really important, which is gaining ITU points for their, for their respective countries and, and racing. So, um, that's the plan for 2019, 2020, we're going to ramp right back up to more than four races, um, with a focus on really taking advantage of, of, uh, the platform the Olympics is going to give mixed team relay. Um, over the next 10 years or so, you're going to see a lot more 
youth racing, uh, uh, junior racing, amateur racing, collegiate racing. We're a huge fan of what USAT is doing right now with not only NCAA, but the collegiate clubs. I mean, it's pretty awesome. Um, I don't think there's a lot of club programs in any other sport in college that are quite as, uh, um, impressive as collegiate triathlon is right now. So, um, like I said, our, our focus is to, to build a pipeline, um, for not only, you know, very people that are interested in, in, you know, becoming a professional triathlete, but also people that just want to get into the sport as well. So focus on amateur kids. Um, and yeah, the youth, cause they're the future of, uh, of the sport. Yeah. I think that's really cool. I think one thing that's, um, standing out to me now that people talk about the numbers in triathlon declining and they talk about, you know, the race is going away. I think the issue with that is people coming into the sport, doing Ironman one or two times and then leaving. Um, so what I think the opportunity really in the sport is, and USAT is doing a great job and other federations around the world, and I know Triathlon Canada is doing the same thing, is um, creating lifelong athletes, so introducing people into triathlon, um, giving them fundamentals and the foundation to enjoy the sport and grow with the sport. Um, and I think, you know, series like uh, Major League Triathlon and the Mixed Team Relay and Super Sprint and, and things we talked about earlier is really going to give people that opportunity to find that passion for the sport, not just a one and done bucket list type event. Yeah. And, and just to be clear too, I think, um, it, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're, you know, ITU or USAT or any other Ironman or anybody, I think it's going to take a collaborative effort from pretty much everybody in our industry to work together to grow the sport. So, um, by no means do I think anyone can really change it just overnight. It's going to be very difficult to do that. But, um, like you said, there are some very, awesome initiatives going on and talk about USA um, because we're based here, obviously um, but USA triathlon and Ironman had kind of a revolutionary partnership um, last year. They started it with time to try. I mean, that's huge. I think that's, it's great. And I think Ironman and Ironman like kind of gets like a, a bad rap and a lot of things. Cause people are like, Oh, they're, you know, they're everywhere and they're taking over the sport, but it's like, it's great. Very, very great for the sport to have that sort of recognition and, uh, that being said, it's very important that we start getting to the point where people aren't, um, saying, oh, triathlon. Oh yeah. That's like the one in Hawaii, right? It's like, well, no, I mean, and the thing is, that's really awesome is that through the time to try thing, at least from my perspective, it seems to me that like Ironman also sees the benefit in getting people involved in super sprints or sprint and whatnot, because eventually they probably are going to want to go do an Ironman event. So them working with uh, USAT and local race directors and USAT really promoting triathlon, new people and pool swims and, you know, gym triathlons and things like that, I think is, is, is great for the sport. And, um, you know, we're all for that. And like I said, that said, it's going to be a collaborative effort. I think everyone needs to look at other race organizations and, uh, you know, the industry triathlon industry from a, you know, retail standpoint, bikes and running shoes and all stuff like that and work together to get more people into the sport. Because I think, there's two really huge um, barriers of entry. One's the swim. Everyone's afraid of it. So the more we can do to f figure out a way to make people feel more comfortable and safe while they're out there, that's that's huge. And then there's also a pretty high cost to get involved in the sport as well. And um, people have to understand that while there are people there with twenty thousand dollar bikes and disc wheels and you know seventeen thousand dollar you know whatever, like you don't you don't need that to do triathlon like the sport started with people on like fixies and running in like speedos and stuff. I mean, so I think if we can kind of bring that 
um, bring that back a little bit and, and get people to understand that Ironman is not the only triathlon. It's a really awesome, cool brand. And they've done a really good job promoting the sport, but you don't have to start there. You can get involved super sprint or sprint. Yeah. And I think, um, one thing that people forget is triathlon is a relatively young sport. You know, it's only been around for, you know, I think 40th anniversary of the first ever triathlon of a few people was yeah. last year. So it's not like, um, you know, it's been around for hundreds of years. So I think there's going to be these peaks and valleys, um, that we all have to get through, but I think there's enough smart, passionate people in the industry that will figure it out and things will, you know, things will, will, will rebound and adapt and change and develop over time. Um, one thing that's really top of mind for me is, um, is gender parity and working with, um, you know, equal prize money for men and women. And, you know, you talked about things like Ironman and the, you know, the, the movement to have equal professional men and women in that race. Um, talk to me about mixed team relay. And, you know, I am super excited by the fact that men and women competing together and they're on equal footing. Talk to me about why that's important uh, in this format, but also kind of the future of the sport and, and the Olympics, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't even a, an option for us when we first started. It was like, we were never going to do men's only race or, um, you know, offer less money or anything like that. It's, it's, it's incredibly important because I mean, well, first of all, like my, like I grew up with my, uh, my mom was the primary provider in, in our family. Um, and, uh, so I was used to always having like a really strong woman that was very, very passionate about what she did, but incredibly smart. And, um, you know, I've always just been a, a huge believer in, in the fact that like, incredible that there's a uh there's an event out there that can pair men and women on the same team at the same time racing on the same course for the same amount of money and like that's the biggest thing that kind of stood out to me is like doesn't have to be a separate race doesn't have to be separate prize money doesn't be separate coverage and worse coverage for this and like I, i know like a lot of leagues out there are working on stuff and there's certain you know federations and leagues that are doing things better than others and whatnot um but yeah like i said it wasn't even an option for us that was what we wanted to do from the beginning yeah it's um i love the fact that uh the guys and girls are racing together and i love the dynamics that are created uh around that and i think to be honest from what i've seen uh of major league triathlon the women like really go for it and there's been some incredible head-to-head competitions and races and sprint finishes you know when the women are are starting second and and finishing the race um talk to me about some of your favorite memories and moments over the last three seasons um that may or may not include the sprint finish with yeah taylor spivey and chelsea burns Burns in avon colorado but yeah give us some of your highlights and memories from the last three years of major league triathlon yeah i mean that was probably the one of the most exciting races i've ever seen because um it was, it was actually three teams that went into the last running leg at the same, you know, at the same time and 7,500 feet of altitude in Avon, Colorado. And everyone was just like, no idea what's going to happen. You had three, probably of the best athletes in our, in our league, you know, going for that last, uh, you know, that, that title right there. And uh, it ended up for those of you that didn't see it, it ended up with, with Chelsea Burns and Taylor Spivey with a, with a sprint finish, um, that last, you know, hundred meters or so. And Taylor just barely, you know, eked out a win over Chelsea. And, you know, that's what sport is about. It's, it's about the, you know, the crazy comebacks and the, you know, who's going to win. And, and, um, you know, no one, no one likes a sport where, you know, the same team wins every single year and the same athletes win every year. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, so that's 
mixed team relay. It's, you know, a team could be up a, a minute and a half, you get a flat tire and you can come in last place. Or, you know, there was a time when I think it was last year. Yeah. Last year, 2017, sorry, two years ago now, it's 2019 already. 2017 in Vail, Colorado, when Ben Canute took back a minute over the course of, you know, a 300 meter swim, a 6k bike and a, you know, one and a half K run. It's, it's, that was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen in my life in person. Um, 20 minute race. He took like a minute on some of the top athletes in the world. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's all that, but like, honestly, like going back to it. And if, if you ask pretty much any, any of our athletes that were around that first year, um, as much as, uh, as much as everything went wrong, that first race we ever ran, um, it was probably my fondest memory of, uh, of MLT. It's, um, we held a race in the middle of like central Texas and had pretty much everything that could possibly go wrong, went wrong. And, uh, somehow managed to still put a race on. It was, um, the first ever mixed team relay duathlon that we held. And maybe even the first one in the world, I have no idea when it was first held, um, no swim. And, um, every one of the athletes was, uh, had no idea. Like I, like someone came up to me after the race and literally said, you know, when we signed contracts, we didn't even know that this was going to take place because, you know, they'd had so many times in the past where, you know, race organizations would come out with these huge promises and over promise and undeliver over promise and under deliver. And, uh, yeah, I mean, looking back at that, I had never, we'd never hosted a race before. There was like four of us that didn't know what we were doing. And, uh, we ended up holding this race in, uh, like I said, a central Texas parking lot effectively, there was like seven people there and uh they must have done like 25 u-turns per lap to get the to get the full distance cuz it was the only thing we could get done and like i said if you ask pretty much any athlete that was there that's been around for at least two seasons or all three seasons like a lot of them will say that was their favorite race they ever did cuz it was like you know re- like i'm taking their words not mine but like they're like reminiscent of like freaking like x games like some back parking lot like that started out and we have a long way to go to get to that status but it's the same type of thing it's like we they did it for the love of the sport and i mean obviously the prize money and whatnot too but it was a pretty epic day like and i think that was probably one of my favorite memories i have of the sport that's cool and i think you know hat goes off to you and the team to be able to commit to and create a league where these athletes can race at home. So like a lot of, you know, in Australia, there was some pretty good series and the U S there's, there has, you know, come and gone these professional races, but to provide an opportunity for people to make an income, um, at home and race at home and race with their teammates and their friends and their training partners, I think is, is really cool. One thing that I'll share as one of my favorite memories last year was, uh, the race in Atlantic city. And, um, for anyone who watched the coverage of that race, the, the weather was, uh, less than ideal. Um, we had a storm come through the weather, the, the waves were like, you know, they started at six foot and got to, you know, 20 foot, the old fishing tail, <laughs> yeah. it kept growing and growing and it'll probably keep growing over the years. Yeah. But, um, one moment in particular where Erin's story, uh, of the Colorado peaks yep. was, uh, I think she was the third team member yep. to go. And, um, you know, the conditions were, were not getting any better. The waves were, enormous there was a massive sweep and uh and there's a jetty in the middle of the course too. jetty in the middle of the course that you know on a calm day would be quite easy to swim around but um you know she tried once and twice and three times and four times to get out 
and couldn't. She just kept getting washed back to shore. And, you know, I could see in her eyes that she didn't want to give up. Um, you know, and her teammates were there saying, you know, it's fine. Don't worry about it. If you don't want to go, don't go. Um, but I think it was on the fifth time she, you know, put her head down. She ran out. She got out past the breakers. She finished the swim and their team was well and truly behind. But the determination of her to not give up and to see it through was, uh, you know, that was a very special moment to witness and not many people did get to see it. The coverage didn't show it, but um, to witness that and be a, you know, have a front row seat to that was, was pretty incredible. And I always, you know, tell her when I see her that that was uh, a, yeah. that was a, a pretty special moment for me to witness. Yeah. I mean, yeah, likewise, man, that was, that was one of the cooler things I think I've ever seen. Um, you know, they, she had really no incentive from a, like a monetary standpoint at that point to, to continue. Um, they were, you know, relegated to basically, I think it was last or second to last because, you know, another team actually wasn't able to make it. Yeah, that was just pure. And that just shows the type of person that she is and like why she's been in the league for all three years. And she's one of very few people that has been um, in the league since we started is because like I said, like she's a fantastic athlete and those conditions were insane. I'm really glad we did the race still. And I think all the athletes are as well. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's something again that, um, I don't want to speak for you, but I don't think you'll probably ever forget. And I don't think I'll ever forget. And I don't think a lot of her teammates will ever forget it either. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty amazing to see it. Yeah. And I think, uh, we, you know, we did a feature on her very recently and, um, my introduction to, to the email that we send out to our, uh, email newsletter subscribers was, was relaying and talking about that story. And it's one of those things that I don't want that story to ever die because it's, it's it was a, it was a, a real show of resilience. And I think that's uh, that's what I take from, you know, the group of athletes that Major League Triathlon brings in is it's not necessarily about the money. It's not necessarily about the fame or the points or the show or, you know, anything above and beyond racing and racing for the love of the sport. Um, and I think that's incredible to kind of witness. And I would encourage anyone who has the opportunity to, to come out and see a Major League Triathlon event um, and experience the athletes and shake their hands and ask them for advice, but just to see the passion and the the drive and the resilience that goes into these races, uh, it's definitely worth checking out and, and very inspiring and motivating as well. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate you saying that. And um, yeah, like you said, I mean, we obviously have prize money in the line, which is like, in my opinion, pretty good. We want it to be better and be able to offer more, but there's hundred plus races probably out there that offer more prize money than we do at our events. But these, you know, top level pros keep showing up and they tell their friends about it because I think it's, um, again, it kind of goes back to the mixed team. Really. It's like, they love being a part of a team. And like, like the story you're telling about Aaron, it's like, she didn't want to, she felt like she'd be letting her team down. If she, if, uh, even though she wouldn't have, even though they were saying, look, it's okay, don't do it. She, she didn't want to let them down. And I love it. I mean, that's, that's why we do it. We, um, want to grow the sport we love each and every one of our athletes we consider them a family and is you know like i said like we've said that since day one um they're a part of hopefully growing something that's going to be very successful long term and they're going to be the people that help start it i don't want to rem- keep reminiscing too much but uh one one memory that i do have as well was the first race that i came in and saw in cleveland in 2017 yeah. um and i hadn't really seen mixed team relay before um you know you catch the highlights on um from itu events and things like that but i hadn't witnessed it in person and the thing that i took away from that was the team spirit so i remember 
John O'Neill uh, running up and down yeah. the side of the course, screaming. Uh, it might have even been. It, I think it was AJ. Yeah, AJ, and like there was a group of these people, these athletes that had you know they'd done their race. Um, you know, they might have put their t-shirt on and then they were up and down the course shouting and screaming yeah. support and encouragement to their teammates. And that you don't see that in an individual sport like triathlon. Like that just doesn't happen. Um, so then that's the moment I knew there was something special. There was something yeah. special about the format. There was something special about the league. Um, and I, I wanted to be more of a part of it and I wanted to experience it on a, on a, on a broader scale. Segwaying and kind of the complete opposite, obviously triathlon still is an individual sport um, as it is, but talk to me about, you know, maybe some of the best talent that you've seen in the league. Like what are some of those, you know, you've mentioned Ben Canute and obviously he, you know, he's a superstar in the sport, but what are some of the kind of individual and performances and individual athletes that you just stand back in awe and go, yeah, they've got something special. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, we had, uh, we had Vincent Louis race with us um, in our last race last season. And, um, his, I can't remember how far back his team was uh, when he started his leg of the race, but he, again, just uh, that guy gave everything he had. Um, you could tell, like, um, she you know some some stuff after the race too that like he um, they ended up coming in fourth um, as a team, but he wanted it so bad, and not necessarily for himself, but for his team too. So kind of going back to that, but that was a fantastic performance. I talked about Ben, you know, taking back that minute over some of the top athletes. Uh, that Taylor Spivey and, and Chelsea Burns sprint finish at the end was pretty unbelievable to watch as well. And I mean, there's, there's so many fantastic athletes that race with us. I, I don't feel like I would do it justice to name every single or to, to name even a few without, you know, naming everybody. I mean, we had Kirsten Casper race with us last year, you know, Matt Sharp, Tyler Misselchuk, and yeah, the list goes on and on and on. And not only like, again, not only these people, fantastic athletes, but they're also great people. And we've really enjoyed getting to know athletes more and more every year and learn more about them and some of their passions outside of the sport as well too. And like I said, you know, we consider them family. So I truly honestly believe that every single athlete that races with us is deserving of an honest look, um, for a 2020 slot or 2024. And we're really excited that whether or not, you know, I mean, we were, officially added to the discretionary selection process for USAT. And we're currently being added to a few other federations as well. Um, whether or not they actually are like, wow, look at that performance. They're going to make the team. Like we love, we love the fact that we're being looked at for that. And we have the opportunity to show like this athlete that may have been overlooked. Like you need to look at them because, um, they haven't got this opportunity, but like this this girl or this guy just took off, you know, however many seconds off of your top athlete in the league. I mean, or your top athlete in your federation. And, and that's what I think is really exciting for us is that we can hopefully, we can hopefully give someone an opportunity that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Yeah. I think that's really cool. And I think not only that, as you mentioned, some other federations standing up and taking notice as well. And last year, the series had a team from Canada, uh, a team from Mexico and a team from Australia. Do you have any plans on um, growing that offering to federations or will it stay US-based teams and those three federations for 2019 or is it a little too early to tell at this stage? Um, our, our goal in the f- near future, we'll say, um, is to definitely offer this a little bit more to um, to other federations as well. You know, that said, uh, I we are based here in the US 
we do have plans to continue to be based here in the U.S. But um, part of the thing, and one of the things I actually loved about USA Triathlon is that um, they haven't said like, you know, I mean, supporting us hasn't been like, you need to have everyone here be in the U.S., you know, be a U.S. athlete or whatever, because we need them to get the development or whatever. They're actually helping, encouraging to get other federations to come in and race because it elevates the level of, of, um, of racing and it's going to help in the end get our athletes better as well. So, uh, yeah, like long story short, long, a uh, short answer to that question is, um, we're going to continue to explore those options. And, um, there's a very good possibility that you're going to see, um, at least four nations, continue to be represented in the league and, and potentially more in 2019. But um, after 2019, especially that you're going to start seeing more and more of that as well. Yeah. And then uh, same question for international expansion of races. So, so far the races have been based in the U S mm-hmm. um, is there plans to take the series and the races internationally as well? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're still kind of evaluating that. I, I can say that we, we do view we do view MLT um, eventually being a global property, um, whether that's just in you know athletes racing in the league here in the U.S. or that's physically having races in places like Australia or Canada or Mexico. Those are things that um, we're still kind of determining now. We've had some fantastic relationships with those federations, and yeah, I mean, like I said, time will kind of tell with that. But there's a there's a fairly good possibility that you may see us outside of the U.S. in the near future. Yeah, that's exciting. Dan, it's been a pleasure to hear a bit more about your story. Is there anything, uh, any final parting words you'd like to share uh, with the listener? Yeah, I would just say um, to all of our fans that have been following us along uh, over this past couple of years, we really appreciate um, all the support that we have. And there has been a lot of a lot of people that have been supporting us and we've continued to grow every single year in terms of our reach and on-site presence and live stream and whatnot as well and we've had some fantastic support from sponsors um i just want to thank them personally again on this and and uh and uh yeah let everyone else know that hasn't hasn't experienced one of our races like you know tune into our live stream come out if you're in the area um there's going to be opportunities for amateurs to race this year super sprint maybe even mixed team relay we'll have to see and uh and yeah again um i appreciate you having me on travis and um you know big fan of what you guys are doing um obviously this is this has been a fantastic relationship for us as well with everything you're helping with uh with mlt too so appreciate it yeah, my pleasure. And then uh, if people want to get in touch with you personally or in touch with the league, what's the best way for them to uh, to reach you? Uh, yeah, I always say uh, feel free to reach directly out to me. Reach me at daniel at majorleaguetry.com. Um, you know, majorleaguetriathlon.com is our website. Uh, we have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, follow us for the latest news. Uh, but yeah, I mean, don't don't be afraid to reach out to us if you're professional triathlete if you're aspiring pro if you're a little you know a little kid that wants to meet one of our athletes or you're you know an older man or woman that just wants to pick our brain or tell us what we're doing wrong or what we're doing right i mean um you know we'd love to hear from you that's great i think uh yeah dan is one of the most approachable people i've ever met so please take him up on that offer i'm sure he'd be very very happy to hear you um this has been great dan i really appreciate it mate and i look forward to 
following the league very clo- closely this year on the ground and uh, and supporting you with uh, with the operations uh, of the event and um, you know talking more about the athletes and sharing the stories of the, of the league as well. So yeah, look forward to uh, another successful season as we move towards the Olympic qualification and the Olympics next year. So thanks again for joining me, mate. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much, Travis. Appreciate it. Thanks to Dan for his time, and I applaud his resolve to take an idea and turn it into something very special. It's a big inspiration and part of the reason I am determined to continue to grow Inner Voice and the Inner Voice audio experience. To make that happen, I need your help. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend. Subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Also, I love seeing screenshots of the episode you're enjoying shared on social media. I love seeing where everyone's listening from and what they're enjoying. Finally, I'd love you to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other endurance athletes and fans find the show. Once again, thanks to the team at iCore Labs. Not only do they sponsor the Inner Voice audio experience, they also support many events and incredible athletes in the endurance sports community. iCore nerds out on the science to deliver the most bioavailable product you can get. Their mission is to provide the highest quality, most effective, full-spectrum hemp extract products available, allowing you to have your best day possible. Head to iCoreLabs.com and save 15% off each and every order of iCore by using the code INNERVOICE at checkout. As you may have heard during our new show, The Coaching Call, I've started to ramp up my training to get ready for the 141 miles at high altitude during this SBT gravel cycling event, and iCore plays a big part in me being able to back up my training day after day. I've recently been dealing with some ITB issues and their new topical product has helped me deal with and manage that and touch wood, it's recovering well and I haven't missed any workouts as a result. Head over to iCoreLabs.com and check out iCoreLabs for yourself. I'm Travis McKenzie and this is the Inner Voice Audio Experience.